So good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jeff Douglas. I'm one of the elders, part of the leadership team here at the church. And it's my pleasure this morning to introduce to you Wesley. He's here from CFR, which is Christian Financial Resources. He'll talk about that in a little bit. But they're our financial partner. They're our backer. They helped us. For those of you that don't know, they helped us with the mortgage here, the building and setting up and the building, the planning and everything, this building 12 years ago. They also partnered with us extensively over the last few years with COVID, helping us navigate all the craziness of the financials. And uh, they're just a, a huge partner and a blessing for us as a ministry. So we just welcome you, Wesley, and we thank you. And we're excited about the message God has brought for us thank you. today. Thank, thank you. you. Well, good morning, Fort Christian Church. It's good to be here with you again, and uh, good to have the opportunity to share the message this morning. Um, I always enjoy any time I get an opportunity to teach from God's Word, uh, because I don't get that opportunity that often, and glad I can do that this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10. So we're going to kind of camp out there most of our time uh, this morning. And um, this is just one of those passages for me. And hopefully as you hear it read, it'll be one of those passages for you that's just, um, it's just a beautiful passage of scripture that I I just love and I read it often. Um, So I'll read it, then I'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Sound good? All right, sounds all right. It sounds all right. All right, you go. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Uh, As for you, um, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. God, we're thankful. Uh, We're thankful um, that this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10, has been preserved uh, through the generations. And um, God, I'm just reminded in this moment that we've read this passage, um, and we've read it as people have read it for thousands of years. And God, I just thank you that your word continues to speak in a fresh and relevant way to us today. And so God, as we explore this scripture, I pray that you will illuminate it and that you will help us to see maybe things we had not seen before. And you will help us uh, to experience your call, maybe in a way that we haven't heard you call us before and that we will be sent on mission, maybe in a way that we have not gone before. God, we love you and we thank you that you're a good God that calls us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So growing up, I was in, I was in the band, not 
a band, not like the band up here. I was in the, the school band. I played the drums or percussion, as some might say. In elementary school, I played the drums. In middle school, I played the drums. In high school, I played the drums. I was in the marching band. I was in the concert band. I did a short stint in the jazz band. I don't know that I had the rhythm for the jazz band. I was, I was decent. I, I wasn't great. I've always told myself this, that I, that I would have been better if, I, if our school would have had a better band program. Now, that's probably not true. I probably just, uh, just struggled a little bit. Uh, but that's at least a story I'll continue to tell myself. But to this day, right, to this day, right, there's, there's just something about a live band. There's just something about live music that connects with me on um, this kind of deep, almost soul-like level. You know, music has that effect. No matter what genre you're into, it has the ability to draw us in. It moves us emotionally. Sometimes, maybe at a good wedding, it'll move me physically at a wedding reception. I'll find myself dancing. Sometimes it's the right lyrics that express feelings that have been long suppressed. Other times it's a rhythm that just kind of hits just right and just kind of puts your mind at ease and drowns out the cares of the world. Now, it's not every song, but when I find that song, right, that song that just really connects with me on a deep level, it it gives me feelings that the the best I can express it is that it kind of mimic joy. It feels very joyful. And I find myself listening to it every day and sometimes multiple times a day. But one thing I can't do is listening to a song on repeat. Like after I listen to a song one time, I can't just like immediately play that song a second time. Now my wife, on the other hand, if she likes a song, she will play it over and over and over again. And I'll, I'll look over her and I'll go, really? And she'll go, well, I like it. And, and we're just wired differently, right? The reality is we're all wired differently and we have different tastes. But I, th- I think there's one thing that we all have in common and that's um, a disdain for bad music. I think, I think that's somewhat subjective, but I think we can agree that there's nothing more distracting than a song that you just don't connect with. You know, one thing I was never good at was playing a, a drum set. I, I could play the snare drum, I could play timpanis, play cymbals, could play a mean cowbell, um, but I, I could never master the coordination that it took to play all these instruments at the same time. Now, one Christmas, I begged my parents for a drum set, and they gave me one reluctantly. They bought one for me, and uh, I was so loud and uncoordinated, they never let me play it, and so I never really learned how to play the, the drum set. In retrospect, I, I probably don't bl- blame them. They were probably right. It was probably terrible, um, but, but not to trivialize the subject matter that Paul's getting at, because you're probably wondering, where is this guy going with this? But not to trivialize the subject matter of what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians, but I think this is kind of what he's getting at, right? Like a song set to replay over and over again are actions that dishonor God and God's created order have been playing on repeat since the time of Adam and Eve. But this song is not a good song. It's out of tune. It's out of time. It's hard to listen to. It's distracting, but it won't stop playing. This song tells a story of senseless violence, broken relationships, global poverty, injustice, inequality, abuse, misuse, all leading to this world that we're living in that's filled with 
fear and anxiety. And these lyrics have a way of drawing us into this cynical cycle of hopelessness and this deafening feeling of defeat. And over and over again, it plays and it's frustrating. It frustrates God. And I think if we're honest, it frustrates us, right? Because there's something deep within us that tells us it's not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the song of summer, right? This is not the soundtrack of heaven. This isn't the song of the redeemed. This is the sound of death. Look at how Paul characterizes it in Ephesians chapter two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work of those who are disobedient. You see, central to Paul's theology here in Ephesians chapter two is this nagging, outright annoying reality of hopelessness and defeat. You see, Paul uses this word dead to drive this point home. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, this isn't the only place that Paul communicates this level of hopelessness. In Romans, he vents his frustration with the pattern of his own personal actions that dishonor God. Look at Romans chapter seven. This is popular scripture. I want to read it for us. Paul says this. He goes, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing, right? Who hasn't been there, right? If we're honest with ourselves, wanting to do what is good and helpful and right, but finding ourselves doing something else. It's frustrating, it's discouraging. It can leave us with an overwhelming sense of defeat. You may even be prone to ask the question, what's the meaning or what's the point, what's the purpose of life? This is why I think Paul's theology is so helpful because he helps us to see the hopelessness that we're all bound to apart from Christ. And he does this, I believe, just so that he can reveal to us the hope that can only be found in Christ. He does this both in Romans chapter seven and in Ephesians chapter two. Look back at Romans chapter seven, verse nine. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. This is the hopelessness that we're bound to apart from Christ. Then several verses later, he reveals to us this unique hope that can only be found in Christ in Romans chapter seven, verse 24. What a wretched man I am, he says. Who's gonna rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think Paul wants us to see both the reality of death and the reality of new life in Christ both at once. It's like he's saying, choose life over death. Choose Christ and you no longer have to contribute to that terrible tune that's stuck on repeat. It's like he's saying to us, there's hope. He does the same thing in Ephesians chapter two. In the start of the chapter, he starts it in this kind of dark and desperate place, this hopeless place. Um, but then he moves to this sense of hope and purpose and, and renewed this rescue that, that we have, this renewed purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse one. As for you, uh, I don't like this verse. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, right? It's, it's heavy, it's hopeless. It's filled with defeat. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. We're bound to this hopeless cycle of dishonoring God, Paul says. 
But jump a few verses down to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and look at what he says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Now, I can't help but to think that one of the reasons why Paul writes this to the church is so that we don't get all holier than thou and forget that that sad song, that hopeless song of defeat was once our song. He wants us to remember that our lives were once rehearsing the song of death, that we were in the band, that we were playing the worn out terrible tune. He wants us to remember because it's only as we remember that we can recognize and appreciate the song that rises to the heavens when we walk in the way of Jesus. It's only as we remember that we're able to see the hope that can only be found in Jesus. Now, I like uh, metaphors. I like this music metaphor. Maybe it connected with you. Maybe not. I don't know. But let me abandon that music metaphor for just a few minutes um, because all metaphors, even good ones, are imperfect and there's just some things they can't communicate, right? Because, and there's something in this passage I want to make sure we don't miss, right? As you may know, um, majority of the Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, the Old Testament's Hebrew, New Testament's Greek, as a result, sometimes our English translations don't always capture the nuance that's in the original language. You may have heard this um, kind of common preachers like to talk about it, about the word love. In the Greek language, there's multiple different words for love that express different aspects, a- aspects of it. There's a word for unconditional love, a word for romantic love. There's a word for brotherly love. There's a word for self-love. And in English, though, we transfer all these different words with one word, love, and we totally miss the nuance that's in the original language. Now, in a similar way in Ephesians, maybe similar, but a little bit simpler way in Ephesians, um, our English translations miss the nuances in the text. You see, we miss the nuance in the way that Paul uses the word you. We, We don't know whether he's using you singular or whether he's using you Plural. Now, I've often thought it would be helpful if the Bible translators helped us out just a little bit and translated the plural as y'all. So, uh, like in Ephesians chapter 2, it would read a little bit differently. And I've even come up with a name, like the SLV version of the Bible, the Southern Living Version of the Bible. Uh, If we had one of those, it would help us out a little bit with this text. This is how it would read. As for y'all, y'all were dead in your transgressions and sins in which y'all used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, here Paul is talking to the Gentiles, and he's clear that it was all y'all Gentiles were living in a way that dishonors God. And he wants Gentiles to see the universal and the collective nature of sin, that all y'all were caught up in this sinful lifestyle, that all y'all were living in a way that dishonors God. Now, Gentile is this label that was given to anybody who was not a Jew. So he's saying all y'all non-Jewish people, you were living in a way that dishonored God. But Paul doesn't leave out the Jews, right? He turns his attention to the Jews. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, he points out that even though the Jews had the law and this unique relationship with God, they were in the same condition as the Gentiles. Listen to what he says. He says, all of us, and he's talking about us Jews, all of us Jews also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
So Paul does this, I believe, so that he can announce some really good news, some gospel that's good for both Jews and Gentiles together. Look at what he says in Ephesians 2 verse 8. This is the good news. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to raise us, all of us, from death. We no longer have to live with that cynical cycle of hopelessness and the deafening feeling of defeat. We don't have to rehearse the soundtrack of death And notice that Paul returns to this plural you to talk about our salvation, the salvation of both the Jews and the Gentiles, for it's by grace you or y'all have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God, so not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, while there's this personal and individual dimension to sin, I think Paul's use of y'all is broadening our thinking. He helps us see this collective dimension. All y'all Gentiles, all y'all Jews are caught up in this together. And this is an important part of Paul's theology because it helps us see the collective nature, not just of our sin, but also our salvation. See, God isn't just saving me, he's saving us And that together we, the church, we're being saved. And our weekly church gatherings, I believe our weekly church gatherings are important. One of the reasons is because they give us an opportunity to be reminded of our salvation. But Paul doesn't want us to simply see and celebrate what we've been saved from. He also wants us to see what we've been saved for. Not just what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved for. And that's why Paul doesn't conclude his thoughts on sin and salvation in verse 9. Because he could have, but he keeps going. And he wants us to see not just what God's done for us. He wants us to see what God wants to do through us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. I love this verse. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork. Think about that. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now hang on to that verse, because I want to take a quick detour, um, and then I want to circle back to it, and then we'll wrap up. So one of my favorite theologians, Stanley Hauerwas, writes about Pentecost as the reversal of Babel. Of course, it's probably not the first person to write about this, probably not the only person to write about this, but it's the first one I heard it from, so I'll give him, him credit for it. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Pentecost or unfamiliar with the story of Babel, I'll do a quick recap. So in Genesis chapter 11, there's, um, this is early in the history of human civilizations. There's this story about a group of people. It's kind of a wild story, by the way. It's fun to read. Uh, about a group of people who were attempting to build a city and build a culture that would uh, distinguish themselves from the rest of the world. And they came up with this crazy, somewhat ridiculous idea. Um, But as I read this, I want us to keep in mind that most civilizations, most cultures were catalyzed and united around some visionary idea that people probably thought was crazy at the time. 
So look at, let's look at Genesis chapter 11, verse one. Look at what it says. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us bake bricks, uh, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Let us use bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. So what we see at play here in this scripture is the unchecked pride of an entire community leading to this kind of group psychosis. This community is kind of going a little crazy, right? It causes them to think that it's both prudent and possible for them to build this eternal symbol to the heavens of cultural dominance, right? This symbol of cultural dominance. They said, come, let us build a tower. And then the world will know that we're not to be messed with. We can maintain our cultural homogeny and that we can be unified around this man-made structure. Now, as you might assume, God was not a fan of this idea. These people were on a mission to make much of themselves. They were living in pursuit of their own glory. They wanted to make their own name known. We could go on and on about all the things that were wrong with this idea. And perhaps, though, the most significant problem is that they were unified around this idea. Now, as you can imagine, God stands in the way of their plans, but not as you might expect. God creates disunity among the people. Look at Genesis chapter 11, verse five. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city, the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Now there's so much that we could say about this passage of scripture. It's very fascinating and you could explore it all day. Um, But let's just focus on the big picture, right? God stood in the way of this community's misguided attempt at unity. They were united around their own self-serving mission instead of God's mission. And God gives them new languages, makes their words sound like babble to one another, making it impossible for them to unite on this mission together. So that's Babel, right? That's the story of Babel in Genesis 11. Now let's look at Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, because there's, there's the story of Pentecost. And in the day of Pentecost... It's the day that we celebrate as the birth of the church. Nick mentioned it earlier on the Christian calendar. Today is the day of Pentecost, the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. And so in Acts chapter 2, there's um, this story. Now, there's a lot that happens between um, Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2. In fact, there's thousands of years, even though it's only a thousand pages in your Bible, maybe. Um, But it's thousands of years. In between those two, lots of human history happens. And in Acts chapter two, God works this miracle that inaugurates a new chapter in his work in the world. So here's the scene. There's Jewish people from every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem for a Jewish holiday. This is after the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. According to Acts chapter two, there's people from about 15 regions around the world gathered in a room with Jesus' disciples. They're probably there to learn more about Jesus and investigate the claims of Jesus. So in Acts chapter two, verse one, listen to what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. What we see happening here is spontaneously and miraculously, God gives the disciples the ability to speak in languages they had not studied. As a result, everyone in the room heard the gospel proclaimed in their own native language. So in Genesis chapter 11, God confuses language, making it impossible for a group of people to unite on their self-serving mission. This is the story of Babel. In Acts chapter 2, God miraculously gives a group of people the ability to speak in unknown languages in order to unite them around his mission. These people become God's missionaries, united and catalyzed around God's mission, and the church is born. This becomes the day of Pentecost. This is the reversal of Babel. One led to confusion and disunity. One led to understanding and unity around God's mission. So when we look at Ephesians 2 verse 10, and Paul says, for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, Paul here is writing to a post-Pentecost people, a diverse people who've been united and catalyzed around God's mission. Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles who were collectively together, all y'all caught up in sin, but are now collectively all y'all caught called to God's mission. And the idea here is, yes, you can make a difference on your own, but we can make an even greater difference together when we're living on mission together. And this is why it's essential for the church to be a gathered community. I think this is one of the most important reasons why we gather together as a church, because as we gather, we can go to live on mission And we realize that we are saved so that we could be sent to live on mission and that we're united as a community so that we can be united and live on mission, God's mission. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to in Ephesians chapter two, verse one through 10. And so what are we to do with this message that Paul's writing to the Ephesians? Now, if I'm being totally honest, um, well, I love this passage, the whole thing, And I especially love Ephesians 2 verse 10. It drives me crazy uh, that Paul leaves us with this vague and ambiguous phrase, good works. For we are God's handiwork creating Christ Jesus to do good works. Like many people, I do better with specific to-do lists. (laughs) Just tell me what to do, right? Let me have a checklist so I can see if I'm doing, if I'm on the right track. I can measure it. I can know. But Paul doesn't do that. And I think that's intentional. I think Paul knows that lists have a way of shrinking our imagination. They rob us of wonder. They prevent us from seeing the possibilities. And when we have these atrophied imaginations, this imagination that begins to dissipate, we fail to see what God is doing in our midst. And we end up with this lopsided gospel that's myopically focused on reproducing more good people. I believe Paul is intentionally vague here because he wants us to utilize our imaginations, which is a primal instinct. We're born with it. As children, we all exercise it actively. 
Our imagination caused us to see things that did not actually exist. We probably all had an imaginary friend at one point in life. But something happens as we mature. We lose our imagination. Now, I think this passage is presenting us with a question. What if we revived our imagination? What if our imagination made it possible for us to see things that don't exist? What if we could do that again? I believe this passage is calling us to live with revived imagination so that we can see what God is doing in our midst and so we can join him. And so the questions become, like, what if we saw a world, like really saw it, could really imagine it, a world where there's no homelessness? What if we saw a world where every family had the support it needs? Like, if we could really imagine in what that would be like. What if we saw a world where every addiction is actually defeated? What if we saw a world where every kid has a home? What if we saw a world where violence has no victim? Like, what if we actually saw this world? What if our imaginations allowed us to see it? I believe it's only as we see this world that we can be mobilized to make a difference, that we can be mobilized to join God in his mission in the world. Now, here's the problem, as I, at least as I see it. Um, we know how the story ends, right? In heaven, none of this stuff will exist. And so what often happens is we end up hoping for heaven. When we sing about heaven, we long for heaven, we know that in heaven we'll sing a new song one day. But what if, like what if we were intended to start singing that song now, here, What if our lives began to rise as a new song to the heavens now? What if we released the soundtrack of heaven upon the earth? What if we lived with this revived imagination that allowed us to see things that don't yet exist, allowed us to see where God is at work in our world, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our family? What if we lived with this revived imagination? see where God is at work in our world. And together, we, the church, all y'all, joined them. We could make a big difference in this world. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, Man, we're thankful that you know us, um, you knew us from before we were born. But yet you called us to be a part of your church The community of Christ is making a difference in this world. God, I thank you that we get to be participants in your holy work and that you're not just saving us, but that you're sending us to live on mission. What a glorious idea that we get to live in a way that transforms reality around us. God, I pray that as we have heard your word and even as we leave from this place, God, I pray that every day you'll begin to revive our imagination and you'll help us to see and not just see, but to chase after a world that's being made more whole as we join you in your mission in the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
us is on a quest. Our quest is to live our lives in a way that we will one day hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Our challenge is to use what God has entrusted to us, our time, our talent, and our treasure to accomplish His purposes. How can you do that? By investing in church and ministry projects that change lives. By giving wisely and creating a family legacy of generosity. By being faithful, whether you have little or much. At Christian Financial Resources, we believe God owns everything. And our task as Christians is to manage everything for God. Let's face the challenge together. All right, I'm back. <laughs> Thanks for giving me a few moments to share the word. I also want to share a little bit about Christian financial uh, resources. So um, already a ton of you at this church are already partners with us at, at Christian Financial Resources. You've already invested with our ministry. Um, so I want to say a big thank you to, to all of you and to Fort Christian Church for being such an incredible partner. Uh, if you don't know about Christian Financial Resources, CFR has been around for over uh, 40 years. We funded over a billion dollars in church projects, but what's more important than the amount we funded uh, in church projects is the number of lives that are being changed in churches all over the country, in those churches that, that we fund it. Um, and the way it works is simple. Uh, everyday people like you and me invest money with CFR. We're able to loan money out to fund church projects. A lot of times it's construction, uh, renovations, new church purchases, uh, things like that. And then investors, people that invest with us, earn an excellent uh, rate of return. Uh, there was a couple of weeks ago, I was up at a church uh, that we funded a project at in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, just like I was here, uh, and I had a table out in the lobby. Uh, and right after service, the first person that came up to me was this little boy named Jacoby. And Jacoby had just come out of the kids' ministry, and he was so excited to tell me about what he was learning and the story of Jesus and how much he liked his teacher and all these kinds of things. And um, I mean, he was talking super fast and he's so excited about Jesus. And the thing I kept thinking to myself was um, when we fund ministry like that, that um, little kids like Jacoby get to go out and be a light in his, his class. I don't know, maybe sixth grade or, or seven-year-old, seven six-year-old, seven-year-old, something like that. But there's many years ahead for him and how much communities are going to be transformed as this little kid lives on mission in his community because he heard the gospel proclaimed to the church just like this one. And so I'm glad of what we get to do at CFR and people that invest with us get to make that uh, possible. Now, there's several ways that families often invest with CFR. I want to share three of them with you. Uh, so one, I believe, is for everyone. Uh, we believe it's wise for every family to have an emergency savings fund, a three- to six-month emergency savings fund. We have what we call Ready Access Savings. It's an excellent place to deposit your emergency savings fund. Um, it uh, gets an excellent rate of return, but you can also link it to your local checking account. You can move money back and forth online, zero transaction fees. gets this great rate of return and gets to help fund loans at churches just like this one. Another thing we have is certificates. So sometimes people have more that they want to save. Uh, maybe you're saving for a rainy day. And um, so time certificates, three-year, five-year, 10-year certificates. We also have a special promo that's one year that's going on right now. 
Um, and you can transfer, um, you can put money in there or you can transfer an old IRA if you have old IRAs laying around. You can transfer that into a certificate, earn an even better rate of return, but you also get the fund ministry just like this one. And the third thing is our CFR giving fund, which is kind of, um, we call it kind of like a charity checking account. And so once you fund your giving fund, um, you can streamline all your giving through that giving fund. It offers some really cool tax benefits as well. Um, but it's just a great tool for being able to streamline all your, all your giving. Um, I'm going to be in the lobby after service. Um, I got some of our annual reports. I'd love to put one in your hand, share some more about our ministry uh, with you. Also, if you want more information, you can just text uh, CFR to the number that's on the screen. And somebody from our team, likely me, will get in touch with you uh, this week. Um, thank you for this opportunity to uh, share the word and share a little bit about CFR. Um, and thank you, Fork, for being such a great partner with CFR. Well, I'm so glad that Wesley got to share God's word with us today and um, that we have a fork, these great ministry partners that we get to do ministry with. Um, and so today, um, you might, you'll see the slide go up on the screen, but as we continue out through our morning, um, as we get ready to head out, um, let's not forget that as a church, we have the opportunity to, to do um, this investment in God's kingdom. And Wesley talked about it through CFR, but as we give week in and week out, we get the opportunity to invest into God's kingdom and to give back to him what's already his and allow him to use it in a way that we can't, to do things that we can't, to touch lives that only he can. And so let's pray for our offering today. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you bless us with so much. We're thankful that today you've allowed us to, to be able to, to take those things that you've given to us that is first yours, Jesus, and now give it back to you so that you can use it and that you can multiply it for your kingdom's sake. Jesus, use our gifts today to honor your name and to bring your name glory. It's in the power of your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So as we're heading out today, just a couple of things. Um, first of all, Right out those doors as soon as we're done here, um, if you hang a right where the fireplace room is. Um, if you need prayer today, there'll be one of our team members that would love um, to pray with you. And so don't miss that opportunity if that's you today. And then Ben's back in the corner for Fork and Four. Um, and Fork and Four is an opportunity for you to get to know a little bit more about our church um, and to also ask Ben any questions after he's telling you a little bit about our church. So if you've never been a part of Fork and Four before, you wanna know a little bit more about our community, um, take that opportunity right as soon as our service is over today. Now, coming up in two Sundays is Father's Day, which is a reminder for those of you that are kids um, in the room who need to remember that so that you can love your dads. But also, um, we have something exciting coming up for Father's Day, um, which we're calling Dad Rides. And uh, we're going to have a Father's Day cruising. And if you have a car, a truck, a motorcycle, I mean, what better way to celebrate dads than with cars, trucks, and motorcycles? If you have any of those things and you'd like to, to show it off um, and be a part of that, you can scan that QR code real quick if you're fast enough this morning. You can also look in the hub um, handout in front of you. You can take that home with you so that you can easily find it. Or you can go to fortchristian.org and go to the event page and you can sign up that way. Now, what does signing up for dad, dad rides do? Well, you can drive 
any vehicle. If it goes, it shows. You can drive any vehicle here on Father's Day, and that's cool. If you sign up, you'll get more of a prime parking spot. So, I mean, that in itself is worth it, right? Uh, <laughs> so if you have a ride you want to show off, or you know someone who does, go ahead and have them sign up there. That way we can make sure that we have that parking places for those rides on Father's Day. But on Father's Day, we're going to celebrate our dads, but not just because we're celebrating Father's Day. We're going to celebrate uh, the best dad of all. And if I have to say any more than that, I'll just let you let it sit for a second. You'll get it eventually. But we're here on Sunday, on that Sunday, to celebrate our Heavenly Father. And so we're also going to, to love our dads that are here as well too. So take part in that. Um, come out on Father's Day. It's going to be a great celebration. And then uh, tonight, five o'clock, is Family Fun Night. If you've not signed up for Family Fun Night, but you plan on coming, or maybe you just heard about it now and you're like, oh, I want to come. Family Fun Night is a night that is going to be all about our families having fun together. Um, and it's going to be a ton of games, some good food, all that good stuff. It's free. But if you haven't signed up yet, we'd love to know. That'll help us to get all the things that we need um, as the night goes on. So if you've not signed up for Family Fun Night, please do so. Even if you're on your way later and you're like, oh man, I forgot, sign up. It'll be helpful for us to know. But let's have a great time tonight at 5 p.m. And then last but surely not least, we want to celebrate a decision that happened last week. Um, Autumn Tagliaferri followed Jesus in the obedience of baptism. And so let's celebrate with Autumn today. Awesome. So as you go out into your week, have an amazing week. Let's make sure that we live in a way that we are living as God sent people, that we're living in the power of the spirit living within us so that we can change our world for the name of Jesus. Have a great week.